things and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Ryan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 118, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. How are you? I am also very well. We just got off the recording, or we just finished recording, rather, the, the B segment with our guest, Master Hawaiian Storyteller Lapaka Kapanui, and he was brilliant. Yep. And I can't wait to share that with everyone. Just a great, great dude. Uh, but before we get there, what is, uh, what is new, DJ Synth Hugs? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm uh, obviously got my uh, upcoming return to the, to the decks as I drop some, uh, some sweet vinyl. <laughs> I love it. How I wish I lived in Sheffield. <laughs> uh, as, I, uh, as I bring my uh, camp eight, 1980s New York gay scene disco selection to the masses um so i'm looking forward to that so yeah it's first time i've done it for about three years so i'm really looking forward to getting out there and and dropping my tracks <laughs> i'm still advocating for the live streaming of this because i one i didn't know that you did this and two i must see it yeah because we've been rearranging the house as, as as i've mentioned i was sorting through all my vinyl the other day and obviously i've got far too many 87 inches um but um i've realized i've got some songs I thought I had, I don't own. So I'm a bit like, what? Oh, so no. um, I'm, I'm, I'm making an emergency visit to a record shop tomorrow evening. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see where I can find. But I've, I've, I've got four of the seven already picked, um, including some Finnish, <laughs> a Finnish synth pop single from 1985 that did absolutely nothing. <laughs> but it's amazing. I got to say, you know you're living your life right when you need to make an emergency trip to the record shop. <laughs> well, luckily, where we've moved to, there is a fabulous record store called Spinning Records uh, just around the corner from me, and it's, it's fabulous. Of course it is. Of course it is, you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, I have, uh, I have discovered, while I myself have no, you know, fascinating, uh, fa well, I have no DJ sets coming up. <laughs> Not yet. Not, yeah, there we go. The, the hope springs eternal. Um, however, I did make a, a really interesting discovery mm -hmm. uh, about my family, which I, I told you off air. And that is that my great-great-grandfather fled to Western Canada because he killed a guy. There's always been this apocryphal story within the family that my great-great-grandfather, my, my grandmother's grandfather, I think that's how that works, he had done something wrong and, and the mafia was looking for him and, and all this. Oh yeah, I should mention the guy he killed was in the mafia. It, 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 apparently this happened over a card game and my grandmother, bless her, the family name is one of the family names is Locusano. And again, my grandmother, bless her, because she was, you know, a little bit simple, she would confuse this with Luciano. And so she thought we were related to Lucky Luciano. So she would watch these history shows and say, oh, they were talking about my grandfather. They said X or Y. 
And then she'd show us the program, and it was Lucky Luciano, and, and of course, this led to us thinking the whole story was nonsense. Mm. But as I've talked about on the show before, Nikki's doing a lot of really brilliant ancestry work, kind of finding people, placing phone calls, and she managed to connect us to a, a member of my family who lives in a part of rural BC, and they cleared this up for us and said, oh, no, no, th that did happen. It was over a card game. It was, you know, in, I don't know when it was, a long time ago. That is why he ended up where he ended up. And so mystery solved, I guess. And I think we could do a really good treatment on this story, actually. And, and let's, let's take it to a different level. I think what we need to now say is that he killed the devil playing cards and won his soul back. And to escape the clutches of Satan, he, he went to Western Canada to hunt for Bigfoot to, to seek redemption. I think that's got Amazon Prime written all over it. I mean, a lot of stuff has Amazon Prime written all over it, let's face it. But yes, I love that idea. <laughs> I, am, I am so on board to this. Yes, I'm always, I'm always up for somebody playing the devil at cards. It's a, it's, a, it's a traditional English story from about 1800s. Everybody's playing the devil at cards for some reason. Well, after he lost that golden fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, as we said, we have the wonderful Lepaka Kapanui waiting for us after the break. But before we get there, we want to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Morecambe to our wise. And although I don't really know anything about them, Paul really likes them. So we're going to go with that particular analogy this week. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons. But right now, we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Sharif Tariq. Will Gebbard. Jen L. Rachel C. Alexia Cooley. Guys, thank you so, so much. Again, this wouldn't happen without you. The show exists because of our patrons, and we are forever indebted to you for it. If you want to find out how to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, and you'll find all the necessary information there, or listen to the end of the show. With that out of the way, before we go to the break, it occurs to me that there has been a change we should address uh, before we go to the jump, and that is the new ads. So this show has now moved to the Audio Boom platform, and so if you are not a patron, you'll be hearing the show with ads. But if you don't want to have to deal with ads, we've, at, we've changed things around at the Patreon. So for only a dollar a month, you get access to an ad-free feed. So if you just send it over to patreon.com slash guys, a dollar a month, you'll get a special RSS link, and you get access to not only the new episodes without ads, but I've gone back and made all the episodes basically back to the beginning of the Patreon, so back to middle August 2018. They're all available there, and they are all ad-free. Hey, it's me. I'm recording this shortly before release, because it occurred to me, we have a master Hawaiian storyteller on this episode, and we have a friend of the show who is a master Hawaiian reggae artist. So our musical guest on this episode is the very talented Kai Kunipo, also known as Spock. Spock has a number of really great singles out. You can find him at Spock, that's S-P-0-H-C. Bandcamp.com, but we are going to be featuring his song Harmony, which was a single released in March of this year. Because as you'll hear, one of the topics that the three of us keep coming back to is healing and moving forward. And I just love Harmony and think it is such a positive vibe that nothing else would properly capture the sense of what we're trying to accomplish here. And so I am pleased to say our musical guest on this episode is Spock. Again, that's Spock, spzohc.bandcamp.com, and you'll also find links in the show notes. One last thing. 
I know there are some folks out there who just love the stories, they're not so much into the chat, and that's totally okay. And if that's the case, I will say the chat with Lapaka is fascinating, you don't want to miss it, but if you do want to skip ahead, just point your podcatcher to roughly the 37 minutes and 30 seconds mark. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Lapaka Kapanui and the mysteries of Hawaii. Welcome back. Lapaka Kapanui is a native Hawaiian storyteller, author, actor, kumuhula, cultural practitioner, former professional wrestler. I can't believe my wife put that in there, former professional wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I would too, man. (laughs) Husband, father, and grandpa. Sometimes known as the ghost guy, Lapaka makes a business of leading guests into some of the darkest, spookiest places on the island of Oahu. And he's here with us tonight to share stories from his book, Mysteries of Hawaii. Lapaka, welcome to the Ghost Story, guys, man. It's really good to finally be here. I know we had a bit, bit of a hiccup the last time, but this is cool. Here we are. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it happens. It, it's, uh, we're, the important thing is we're here. And I, I've been really, really looking forward to this because, like I said, I, I've read a couple of your books. Um, I've seen your YouTube channel. I've seen you, you know, on various TV interviews. Hawaii has such a fascinating spiritual culture so so much and so again I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say oh yeah I, I think uh we'll be able to share some interesting things back and forth so for our listeners who don't know yet w- w- tell us a little bit about your maybe your journey to becoming the the ghost guy so you know what you, you've had uh, experiences since you were a child correct yeah since i was a kid I had to go to the local children's hospital get my kidneys cleaned out and um there was an incident where this older kid got a hold of some Coca-Cola and we went down this stairwell and we all took a sip. And in my condition, I was not supposed to drink that kind of stuff. So I ended up having to uh, get surgery done. And when I came out of it, I heard the doctor tell my parents that they actually lost me for a minute. Like I literally died on the table. Oh, wow. And after that, that's, you know, that's basically when I, I could see here and feel things. And then there was a period in my life where, um, you know, I just wanted to get away from Hawaii. And so while I was away, my mom called me and she said, you know, your siblings are not interested in what I have to pass on. And she said, would you be interested? And I'm like, mom, you know, I'm having the time of my life going out every night, getting drunk, you know, stuff like that. Right. And she said, okay. And then, you know, just something about the way she said it got to me and I called her back and I asked her, so, you know, what's, what's happening? Are you okay? She says, no, I just need three years of your time. And I just need you to, to learn these things. And, you know, that's all. And so three years, literally uh, sitting at her feet. And the first night I had a pen in my hand, notepad. And the first thing she said to me is, what is that for? And I said, oh, I'm going to take notes. She said, no, I talk, you listen. And at the end of every lesson, you repeat everything back. And oh, wow. The thing about, it, about that is some of those lessons went for like four or five hours. <laughs> Holy man. Yeah. And so after everything, she's like, okay, repeat it all back to me. Tell me. I had no idea that she'd, um, she actually only had uh, three years left. Oh, wow. And so I think 
on the last day of the last lesson, all she said was, you know, all you have to know is, you know, none of this is about you, but she said, you won't understand until you're older. And then when I got home, my sister called and said that, you know, her mother just passed. And when I meet my mentor, Glenn Grant, who's, we call him the Godfather Ghost Tours in Hawaii. He started it technically back in 1974. And uh, he was already moving on to other things. So when he agreed to take me under his wing and start, start out by doing, uh, you know, the, the bus tours, the ghost bus tours. First day I show up, we're sitting in his red Nissan Pathfinder. I have a notepad. I have a pen. And he says to me, what is that for? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to take notes. He said, no. He said, there's no script. And he said, and, you know, you're going to read any stories from my books. He said, you're going to listen, and then you're going to give it back to me. And so I had no idea that while my mentor was here, he ran into some Hawaiian elders who he wanted to learn some things from. And the first thing they told him was, okay. And they did the same thing to him. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of weird how that, how that kind of worked out. That bus tour had, I think, about seven stops. Every stop had two hours of stories, all oh, memorized. Wow. <laughs> yeah. that's, an, that's an incredible amount of information. It's crazy. I guess so. That's sort of the nature of, you know, the, the true origin of storytelling. I mean, it's all originally oral, oral tradition passed down. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, we don't necessarily have a word in Hawaiian for uh, things like superstition or myth or legend. Right. It's basically what you said, oral traditions, because there was no written language. And so, you know, the word of mouth, the oral tradition was so, so exacting and so strict that if you were the guy who had to repeat to the general public the chief's entire genealogy from the beginning of time up until that moment, and you made one mistake, they'd kill you. Okay. That's incentive. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been conducting tours yourself? Um, I think around 25 years. There was an interview I saw with you, and you, you told this really fantastic story about how you had both a wrestling bout and a tour booked for the same night. Oh, and I, I don't suppose you, you could share that with, with our listeners. Absolutely. You know, the funny thing about me is I'm, I'm old school the way I was raised and the way I, I was taught things was very old school. So it's the same thing with wrestling. Uh, when I was going through it, it, it was still tight. The business was tight. You know, uh, nobody knew the secrets at that point. And our trainer was this five foot two angry Japanese man who taught right. us uh, catch wrestling and a little bit of Muay Thai. So he basically taught us the real stuff. And he said, this is so in case you're in a match and the guy decides he doesn't want to go with the script, you can, you know, you can cinch him up and, and make him force him to cooperate. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so if, if he tried to make it a shoot, you kind of had a, you had a, a way out of that. Absolutely. Uh, many different ways out of it. And I've been in a couple of spaces where I actually had to do that in a match and it wasn't out of anger. I'm like, look, man, I want to go home. You know, I don't want to go home broken. I don't want to go home with a black eye. Let's just do this. Otherwise I got to make, you know, the veins in your eyes pop out. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I'm already doing the ghost tours, uh, you know, with my boss. And at the same time, this is toward the, the end of my wrestling career. And it was starting not to be fun anymore. Mm, right. And so what I would do is I would tell my boss's girlfriend slash secretary, business partner, I, I'd always say, look, I have matches on these nights. Don't 
schedule a tour. And sometimes she would do it anyway. And up until then, we always figured a way to work around it, you know. And when my boss would find out, he'd reschedule it. But one night, it was a no-go. You know, she, she wouldn't budge, and she scheduled a tour. It was a full bus, I think more than 30 people. Oh, man. And the match was already scheduled. Uh, I was scheduled for the main event. And so I had no choice. I uh, got the people on the bus, got on the phone, and called down to the venue and talked to the booker. I said, look, here's what's going on. The tour is happening. I'm doing it right now. And the booker, booker says, what do you want to do? I said, look, I, I, I'm going to show up with my people. You know, go downstairs, uh, you call the match, and then we'll do it, and then we'll leave. And so the booker says, okay, that's fine, you know, and you'll, you'll go on first. Well, you know, you're, you'll go on first. So I get on the microphone, I said, listen, <laughs> I said, we're going to go to a wrestling match right now, and what's going to happen is the bus is going to pull up to the house. You guys file out, you go sit in the front, you'll see the seats, they're right there. I'm going to go downstairs, get directions from the booker. I'm going to uh, just shoot into the ring, beat the guy up, get the three count, I'll take off. As soon as you guys see me leave, you get back on the bus and tour will start. <laughs> and they thought I was kidding until the bus pulled up to the house, to the venue. <laughs> and they're all wide-eyed. They're like, oh, what's going on? And, and that's exactly what happens. The, the driver takes them in. Um, and there's a video. Uh, I'll go find it and send it to you guys. <laughs> oh, please. Of proof that this actually happened. <laughs> and just like, just like I said, you know, I shoot into the ring, beat the guy up, uh, finish him off with a uh, German suplex, get the three count and I'm gone, you know, I'm out. <laughs> and when I get on the bus, the bus is running, the people are in their seats and there's this, there's this silence and they're just staring at me wide eyed. And I got on the mic. I said, so is anybody going to give me problems tonight? They're like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then just this thunderous round of applause. And they're like, this is the best ghost tour I've ever been on. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> i've been on a lot of ghost tours i have never seen that and i feel like i'm poorer for it i gotta be honest with you <laughs> i think more ghost tours should do that lepaka oh absolutely <laughs> easier to keep them in line that's for sure yeah no yeah, problem I mean, after that. <laughs> yeah. whether it's wrestling or you know uh, football rugby I, I think that should be the thing well, there's a market we're developing here i'm, I'm saying like a like an arm <laughs> wrestling competition slash ghost story right. thing we'll... <laughs> You know, we'll have a business once meeting. People, once people on your tour see that, I mean, you know, the skeptics will keep their mouth shut. They won't say <laughs> So do you, do you have to deal with the skepticism thing very much or are people generally respectful? Generally, people are respectful, but it's to the point when people tell me to my face in front of everybody in the group that, you know, I don't believe in this. It's to the point now where I just, I tell them that's fine because they'll say, I don't believe in ghosts. And I'll say, that's fine, but they believe in you. <laughs> and that sort of just changes the tone. <laughs> Lepako, have you noticed it, it becoming more fashionable or is it is it something that has always been a, a, a popular pursuit for people in, in the Hawaiian Islands that they've they've had a real sort of connection with their culture or is it something that as it's developed, more people seem to be showing an interest in learning more about their history? Absolutely, because what people are beginning to find out is this sort of spirituality is just part of our everyday life in Hawaii. So it's not something unusual when you tell somebody, Hey, you know, just the other day I saw a ghost in the drugstore and that local or Hawaiian person will say, Oh yeah, yeah, we know that. And it's not so commonplace that, you know, people just, um, 
don't give it a second thought. It's ingrained in our culture. It's who we are. And so even though we know these things exist, there's still a, a reverence and respect for them because a lot of times uh, those ghosts, those apparitions, those spirits are actually, you know, somebody's family. Because in our culture, when you passed away, there was no cemetery or graveyard you are buried on the property. So when people see your ghost, they're not afraid of you because, you know, you're part of the family. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So it's even even when they cross over, they're still considered family then, Lepaka, and, and, and people will treat them as such. Absolutely. You know, a guy who's my hero, uh, Lloyd Arbach, one of the first he, mm. he said or talked about when we first met is that even though the body has perished, it's no longer functioning. He said the personality of, of that person who passed is still the same. Yeah. And so... One of the things we do for uh, revered family members in the culture before is to um, take their bones and transfigure them into a protective guardian of our family. Mm. But, you know, you only did that for the most liked, you know, nice person in your family. So you wouldn't do that for, you know, somebody like your jerk uncle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, you're basically probably. getting the same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I suppose as well, it's, it, it allows you to kind of, project the, the most popular person then. So is it, like you say, all families would, would sort of have a, uh, a favorite member. Would there be a situation where families would have a, a disagreement about who should receive such treatment, Lepaku, or? In some families, yes, you know, and people are, are human beings. So mm. there used mm. to be uh, arguments about, well, you know, he's, he's the oldest brother, so he should go first. Well, he's the brother that everybody liked and, you know, did more for the community and his family. Mm. And so sometimes the disagreement got to the point where one family would do it for this person and the other family would branch off and do it for that person. But the thing about that, uh, what a lot of people don't know is after you deify that family member to say, to be like a shark guard, uh, guardian, mm. if there's dissension between the two families, you can actually send that shark guardian uh, in the form of a curse to your other family member you don't get along with to, to destroy them. Ah. And what form would that curse take? That would take the form of a shark suddenly appearing when no one would expect it in a place where there's no food where you normally feeds. And the person is being sent to could just be ankle deep in the water and the shark would just show up and, and tear it to bits. It's kind of like a shapeshifter, so it can also take the form of a human being. Interesting. It's so fascinating to see the, the prevalence of sh shapeshifters across mm -hmm. multiple cultures. You know, just, just before we went on air, Paul and I were talking about uh, some stories I, I've just heard uh, from the Philippines about sort of dwarf creatures. The duende. Duende, that's it. Yeah, thank you very much. We were trying to remember what the name was. And, you know, th there are so many of those, uh, you know, across different cultures going by different names. And so to see, again, you know, shapeshifters, because we, we've talked on the show before about you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the names. It's all blanking on me. I know Skinwalker is one, but there there are others, mm -hmm. and it always kind of makes me think there's 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 always more to these things than skeptics seem to think. And I I always like to point to the prevalence of these things across multiple cultures to say you know it's to to imagine someone just inventing this. You're just dismissing the the obvious truth. I think at that point, my wife thinks it's aliens. <laughs> I mean that that's more Paul's that's more Paul's department than mine, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it is it is interesting that um, a lot of folklorists here in the UK, Lepaku, have that kind of 
theory that what people used to consider to be little people or elves or fairies or whatever in olden times here in, in the UK and Europe have now kind of transformed into what we would consider you you know aliens and and the greys and things and i found that a very interesting thing because people always say well people don't see little people or fairies anymore but i think if you look hard enough you can still find these stories it's just that they're just not very well publicized anymore especially here in europe absolutely I, you know if you can find and contact the right people you'll you'll get that information here in hawaii uh, since uh, you know it was mentioned we have the highest concentration of UFO sightings uh, here in Honolulu mm. near, a place, uh, near a place called the Makapu'u Lighthouse. Yeah. And also the missile base on the island of Kauai, there's always UFO sightings. And it's because there's a lot of military exercises, I think, yeah. that take place yeah. offshore. And so in the last year, there's been an increase of UFO sightings out on the west side. So there's, there's something going on. Mm. Yeah. And it's once again, that connection between military activity and, and it seems inquisitive visitors from afar, Lepako. Oh, yeah. And so at first when my wife mentioned this, you know, for a second it sounded crazy, but then I thought about it. You know, we've got this, these oral traditions handed down, uh, documented. So where, you know, where did it begin? How did we get these, these shapeshifters and these beings who could do incredible things? People have a genealogy that they can retrace from what they say at the beginning of time. But the language is, is so poetic and there's so many, uh, what do you call those things, nuances that you have to sort of dissect between what seems factual and what's poetic. Yeah. And so, uh, for instance, in the legend of the goddess Pele, who comes here from the South Pacific mm. and goes down the island chain, digging volcanoes to make home for her family until they get to the big island. Yeah. A lot of geologists, volcanologists have studied that in the past 20 years and found out that the legends of the fire goddess and her journey, you know, down the island chain coincides with their research as far as volcanic activity, like yeah. to the letters. So there's something there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Often these traditions are based in historical fact, I think, Lepaka, mm-hmm. regardless of what uh, kind of events that are going on, there's usually a reason why these stories or, or, or legends or traditions are there. There usually are more than a, a grain of truth in their origin. And, and often they are sort of transformed into a, into a more palatable or, or interesting version that people can hand down to sort of have a look back at the past, but also embrace their culture in regards to, to building those legends and keeping them alive. Absolutely. You know, especially if you, if you have a way to make those things applicable to the people who are listening, mm. you know, if it makes work it in such a way that it, it makes to them, uh, I think that becomes a more enriching experience, but validates a lot of these things. Yeah. Do you still come across reports of, of, of the little people on the islands being reported? Because obviously that's a long tradition that goes back in a, is it the Menahane or excuse my pronunciation, because that, that's a very interesting oh, the, the thing. Menahane. Yeah. Because they're, they're, con- they're considered sort of mischievous tricksters, aren't they? Yeah. You know, it de- depends on the situation. Um, there's a woman that I know, it's called the Bear Estate, and it's a, a wedding venue. So if you want to have your wedding, that's where you go. It's just real uh, nice old two-story place. And her name is Suze, and she's always very generous about letting do ghost stories or investigations. And so the last time we went, she bought out ice cream for everybody, 
And then she asked me, do you mind if I, I give everybody some, some ice cream? I said, yeah, that's fine. And as everybody's eating their ice cream, she says, so I just wanted to share with all of you that we have Minihune in our house. And so when she says that, her retired attorney husband says, yeah, you know, she's been telling me this as long as we've been living here. But uh, he said, as soon as I was retired and was around the house a lot more, he pointed to uh, the stairs next to the fireplace in the living room going up to the second floor. He said, I saw my first Minihune uh, when I was coming down the stairs, taking a left, passing the fireplace. Mm. And he said something in the fireplace just caught my eye, like the peripheral. And he turned around and looked and he said, and there's this little man. He doesn't look like uh, how little people look. He's a fully formed human being, but he's less than four feet tall. Yeah. And he says, and the skin is, is very, very brown and he's got big eyes and he blinks at me once and he takes up running up the stairs. (laughs) So the husband says he runs up the stairs after it and it disappears into the main room where the bride gets ready. Yeah. And he said, and after that it's gone. (laughs) And then Suze goes on to talk about every single minihood encounter in her house. And as she's saying this, she's facing the group and we're facing her and behind her is the living room. And so at the bottom of the stairs is this, uh, what I call an end table. And it's a very, very brown color. And I'm listening to her talk and I'm sort of looking at the end table, looking back at her, looking at the end table. And when I look at it, I think the third time I see this head peek out from behind one of the legs and it's a big end table. And it's this little brown man within four, three feet tall, knees up against his chest, his arms around his legs. It is hard to describe. It's almost like a, a chocolate color. Yeah. And just interesting. He blinked once and just sort of, you know, crawled away and, and, and went up the stairs. <laughs> and under my breath in Hawaiian, I said, my revered elder, my ancestor, please accept my apologies for coming to this place and not giving the proper offering. And the question Sue's asked was, they're not malicious. Uh, she said they only act up when certain types of people come to the house who they find out are not nice people who have ulterior motives Interesting. and so she she said she said to me she says you know i always want to be respectful and leave them offerings but i'm not sure what to leave and so i told her the best offerings are uh this starchy kind of banana it's short it's fat it's uh the skin is pink yeah leave okay. that specific kind of banana and she said what about a food i said uh it has to be a certain type of shrimp and it has to be from the island of molokai so if you can find somebody from that island and make friends with them, they'll get you that shrimp. But those are the two things that actually appeases them. And that's, that's what they like to eat. And so about six months later, Sue's called me and, and she just said, hey, you know what? I found that kind of banana. And she said, and I also found a type of shrimp. And she said, ever since then, they're around, but they don't make themselves as visible as they used to. And she said, and the, the feeling has changed. Like uh, she said, her hypertension went away. Uh, the oh, husband's wow. no longer as grouchy as he was. <laughs> and they live right on the water. They live right on the water. And I can hear the husband in the background tell her and, and tell him, you know, up until, up until then, I've had a hard time catching fish. But he says, now, no problem. Ah. ah. <laughs> so just, you know, little things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's all about, it seems to be about living in harmony. 
You know, it's something that yeah. we maybe have kind of forgotten, I think, as we become more separated from the natural world. I think so. I think so. If we, we could adapt that, life would be a lot more easier. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't think we'll have much choice. I, I think at some point it's going to be a matter of uh, adapt or uh, it's not going to go real well. So uh, on the subject of connection to the natural world, I'm really kind of curious because there's something you've talked about in a couple of your books that I, I'm just not really familiar with. And I would love if, if you can to sort of um, tell us a little bit about them, both about ghost pathways and the jumping off places for souls. Oh, so there are two pathways. Uh, the normal one is for the night marchers, the ghost of uh, ancient warriors who process on the last four moon phases of the Hawaiian lunar calendar. And their pathways are fixed pathways. So no matter how the lay of the land has changed, um, there's a first Hawaiian bank building in downtown Honolulu. And the night marcher procession goes through the 22nd floor. Oh, wow. But when I told the, uh, the owners of the building, well, actually, I, I brought them a map and showed them, you see how the, uh, the lay of the land was different. And I said, so right now, what you think is this, the, the 22nd floor is just common ground. The thing about the night marchers is uh, their job was to process in front of a, a chief that was so high ranking and so sacred that they had to send scouts out ahead to tell the common people uh, kapumoi or ha'alele. So kapumoi is to, to prostrate yourself down, face down, and you can't be clothed, and your hands have to be behind the back of your head. And ha'alele is, it means to, to get away, to run, giving you enough time just not to be there. Right. And so when this sacred person is coming, even if you're in the prostrate position, if the sun happened to cast their shadow on your body, you'd be killed. Oh, okay. And it was to the point that their number one and number two had to be put in a bowl and either buried or taken out to the horizon and deposited. And this was uh, in fear of uh, enemies of the family getting a hold of your number one and number two and using it to put a curse on you. And so this is what's happening in the afterlife. And these type of chiefs wanted to spare the common people, so they only came out at night. And so when you saw the, the long procession of torchlights uh, torch lights along the mountain ridge, you heard the drums, uh, the chanting, that's when you know these people were coming, and you just you got out of the way. And so that's the same thing that's happening now. What's unusual is people sort of... Uh, find it funny that you have to strip naked and life face down. But a perfect example is our, our last conquering chief. We call him our father conqueror, Kamehameha the Great. He had about 38 wives, but his two primary wives, uh, one was his favorite, the other was his political wife. The political wife was higher ranking than he was. And Kamehameha, as brutal as he was in battle, he was a very pious man. And so he honored her rank. So whenever he went to see her because of her status, he himself was required to strip naked and crawl to her and he couldn't look at her. So, you know, that's, that's sort of how it makes sense. So now right. in the afterlife, it's pretty much the same thing. And these paths go right through modern day structures, schools, uh, churches, <laughs> neighborhoods. And the other path, uh, the path for the spirits is at the end of every month, we have here in Hawaii, what we call, um, Lele, leaping places where spirits leap into the next world. And they're in certain locations. And so at the end of every month, the spirits of all the people who recently passed away process to these places. And one by one, they leap into the next world. 
And so those places still exist today. In fact, one of them is <laughs> one of them is at a location at a high school where a cafeteria is built right over it. And that cafeteria oh. at that high school is the most haunted building in that entire school. Jeez. And it's been in newspaper articles, you know, police officers have reported about it, you know, the principal. In the 80s, the student body um, used to do their own ghost tour on campus. Oh, okay. Yeah. I believe you mentioned that in one of your books, as I recall correct, or if, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was a, it was a story about a, a couple who had gotten divorced. Yes, yes, that's a very beautiful story. Yeah. I, I wrote that for, for a friend of mine who actually went through something like that and was dealing with the guilt of, of saying horrible things before his, his ex-wife passed away. Right. And so he's, his thing to me was, is there a way I can make amends? And I told him the leaping place. I said, that's, you know, that's the only place I can think of. And going there, he received, I don't know what the word is, his absolution. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's what that story was about. Again, I, I very, very much enjoyed that one. And speaking of stories, there's, there's no better yeah. time than now. So we're going to do, uh, well, we're going to get started with some stories. The shortest interview. In 1994, I applied for a job at a Waikiki hotel near the Alamoana Beach Park. The opening was for a security lead position at their golf course in Eva Beach. Although the commute was a little long, the hours fit my school schedule perfectly, and the benefits would be a great bonus. I sat outside the human resources office with a few other people who were more than likely interviewing for the same position. All of them were dressed in a shirt and tie. Many were bodybuilding, roid heads. Many were Samoan or military. All were big, bigger than me, big. The view from where I sat was a long hallway that ended with a pair of elevator doors leading to the hotel's upper floors. The entrance nearest to us was a large swinging door with a circular window above the center. The door was constantly in motion as cooks and waitstaff hurriedly made their way in and out of the kitchen. It was quite a sight watching them precariously balance trays of food on one hand while trying to avoid crashing into anyone else coming through the gray door. The staff were all so busy that they were oblivious to anything else going on as they readied themselves for the lunch turnover. They took no notice of the old Hawaiian man dressed in a hospital gown as he slowly made his way down the busy hallway toward the elevator doors. The old man was barefoot and he shuffled ever so carefully, seemingly in pain from head to toe. Before I could ask the other men sitting in the waiting room area with me if they were watching the old man as well, a woman stuck her head out of the door and called my name in a pleasant voice. Mr. Kapanui? Yes, I replied. Come right in, please. We're ready to see you. The woman introduced herself as Joyce and led me to another door where the head of security for the hotel sat behind a small desk in a tiny office. Joyce sat in a chair just off to the left of the man who was, by his appearance and demeanor, ex-military. Um, I began, you may want to call one of your security staff. I just saw an old Hawaiian man wandering down the hallway in a hospital gown. A bunch of waiters and cooks just walked right past him. 
I know it wasn't a great way to start a job interview, but for the safety of everyone involved, I thought it was only right that the head of security should know. Joyce and the head of security looked at each other for a second and then at me. Uh, hold on for a second. We'll be right back, Joyce said as they made a quick exit. Before I could even begin to surmise what the matter was, Joyce returned to the small cramped office by herself and held the door open. Thank you for coming, Mr. Kapanui, but the position you're applying for has already been filled, she said. With that, I was led out of the office by security and back out to the main street on Alamona Boulevard. What happened? Did I do something wrong? I asked. We don't like people think our property get ghosts, the young Samoan security guard said. I nodded and walked toward the harbor behind the hotel where my car was parked at the meter. Over the years, this particular establishment had developed a reputation for having its share of hauntings and suicides. I mean, it was pretty common knowledge. Did it have anything to do with the fact that it's built over an old hospital and that the basement offices are where the old hospital morgue was once located? One can only speculate. Since that day, though, I've learned to tune out our otherworldly friends when they make themselves known to me. It's sort of like punching out on a time clock to let them know that I'm off duty. Besides, in this enlightened time, there are still people who are not prepared for the kind of information that people like myself have to share. Because who knows, it might cost you a potential job. The old hospital that used to be there was actually included in an episode of the old Magnum PI show. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh, yeah. They were, were going to demolish it. And so it's that episode where um, Thomas Magnum and Higgins are trapped in this elevator of this building that's going to be demolished. <laughs> and so what's great about this story is that it was on the six o'clock news and it made some of the newspapers. The director, you know, was a huge crowd of people there, but Director's calling down the count, you know, 10, 9, 8. And when he gets to about 6, he's screaming, stop, 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 cut, 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 stop, stop. And everything stops. And the director on the, uh, the bullhorn is yelling, security, police. And so they come to him. He says, go get that old man right now. Get him out of the hospital. And so what he claims happened is as he's going through the countdown, an old Hawaiian man on a hospital gown came out of the empty lobby of the hospital, walked into the crowd, turned around and walked back into the hospital. Oh man. And so when security and the police chased after him into the empty hospital, he was gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> and in an incredible bit of synchronicity, Paul and I were literally just as, as you came on the call, we were talking about Magnum PI. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Paul was, you were telling me about the episode, the crossovers with, uh, with murder. She wrote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wasn't there an episode of uh, Quantum Leap where the guy actually leapt into Thomas Magnum? Did he? Yeah. I remember there being an episode like that. Oh, that's fantastic. I actually, I, again, another little connection. I posted a, a Quantum Leap meme a, a couple days ago on, on our uh, Instagram page. <laughs> but I remember that, that episode, you know, at the end when he leaps into somebody else and he says, oh boy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could do a lot worse than uh, Tom Selleck, I got to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I hear the uh, the new Magnum is doing pretty good. The studio is like right up the street from where I live. Mm. Oh, cool. I actually didn't know there was a, there was a, a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. It's the new Magnum PI. Uh, Jay Hernandez, I think he was in that movie with uh, Mila Kunis. 
the mother's one. <laughs> okay, I, I know him from um, David Ayer's Harsh Times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow, great. He, talented guy. So that's, that's very cool. Well, absolutely. Does he have the mustache, though? No. Points no. off. Yeah. <laughs> However, I had the cast of the reboot of um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, it's yeah. It's going to premiere on Amazon Prime. Oh. And they, they came on one of my ghost tours, and they were just, you know, a bunch of young kids, of course, but just the, the nicest, most fun group. And there's this thing where we, we go to this location at the end where people always think I'm joking. And I always say when people laugh, yeah, people laugh now, but when we get there, it's no one's laughing. (laughs) And it's this place where you can go to find out if your other half is being unfaithful. And when we got, they all thought I was kidding until we got to that last stop and I explained how it works. And none of the boyfriends and husbands wanted to participate. (laughs) (laughs) That's Hollywood for you. I was going to say infidelity in Hollywood, Lapaka. I can't bring myself to believe it. (laughs) I'm shocked. Shocked, I say. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Stoken Waluku. It was 1971, and I was nine years old, when my family travelled to Kahului on Maui. It was an awkward time, as my mother and my auntie Chuki visited family in the Waluku and Pukalani area. I never knew the details of the family dynamics back then. Some grudge festered among the adults, and the overall feeling that we were not welcome. There was a particular family who did not seem to welcome us with warmth and hospitality. And, although we were already booked at the Maui Seaside Hotel, we seemed to spend more time at Roland and Sally Sanchez's home. During those times, we children were either sent upstairs to play in the eldest girl's room, or we were sent outside for most of the day until we were called in for supper. The yard was huge and neatly manicured, except for the green space in the west corner of the property, where there was a green and white Ford truck. The tall grass grew just high enough around the vehicle to give one the impression that it was a protective parent keeping its child from harm. I could not help but stare at it whenever we were sent out to the backyard to play. Today, as the adults went about their ritual formalities before hunkering down around the kitchen table, I happened to glance out the window and noticed a tall girl who appeared to be a little older than all of us. She sat on the hood of the truck and did not seem to be waiting for anyone in particular. I watched her intently, and I was curious about who she might be, so I let myself out through the back door and walked towards the old truck. 
The girl made no effort to move from where she was seated until she finally noticed my approach. Hi, I said, as I sat in front of the tall grass so I could see her. Hi, she replied. I feel sorry for you guys. Why? I asked. Roland and Sally always make you guys play out here all day. It must get boring, she answered. Do you want to know what they talk about? No, I said. Do you live here? No, I live down the road from here. Then how come you hang out on this truck like this? I asked. I was run over by this truck, she said. It killed me, and I'm stuck to it. I can't move on. At precisely that moment, she became transparent. My young mind could not comprehend what it was that my eyes were seeing, and even before I could scream, Roland Sanchez was already carrying me back into the house. On the way, we passed my mother, Auntie Chucky, and Sally Sanchez heading towards the spot I was sitting. I watched through the screen in the back door as they began to exercise Liv Kimura's ghost from the truck that belonged to Roland. This is what the adults were talking about in the house. They were praying for strength so they would be able to perform the ritual exorcism that would release the girl from her earthbound ties. Ghosts haunt the places where they died, not where they end up. Poor Liv Kimura was heading to the waterfall for a swim one afternoon as Roland Sanchez was speeding home in his pickup truck to catch the repeat of Ben Filifora fight on TV. When he rounded the corner of the street that led to his home, Roland never saw Liv. He hit her straight on and killed her instantly. Sally was my mother's niece. Although it was purely an accident, Sally and her family were looked down upon as murderers by the Fernandez clan from Pukalani. When the Fernandez family found out that my mother had come to Maui to help Sally and Roland, she too was shunned, but my mother ignored the clan and did what she was trained to do. It was something that I will never forget. And that, you know, I was thinking as you were telling that, Paul, that's such a refreshing take on what exorcism is. Lepaka, for example, on this show, whenever we mm. talk about exorcism, it always seems to come mm. up in a very Catholic context and it always seems to revolve around the devil, you know, as opposed to helping someone get where they need to be. Yeah. First of all, I want to, I want to say, Paul, that that is the exact voice I always imagined <laughs> reading one of my stories as an audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> And then uh, I always imagined the female parts being read by uh, a young woman from the West End, a West Ender. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, send me the contract. We'll see yeah. what we can do. <laughs> All right. Um, I've, I've had people come to me for um, not, not so much in the context of an exorcism, but to be healed from this, you know, emotional hurts, things that have been bothering them that they couldn't let go. Uh, let go of for a long time and they just finally wanted to be relieved of it but didn't know how and so that that kind of thing seems less i don't know what the word is dogmatic than you know a catholic exorcism if you're catholic i'm sorry i, I don't mean anything bad toward that i think dogmatic is yeah exactly the right word but so please continue this, in, in that context uh you know people are always have told me that that's exactly the kind of healing that they want to be released of these things that have been, you know, preventing them from going further in their life. And they all happen to be Catholic or Christian. And they say, you know, I don't know how to convey this to my priest or my right. pastor without them saying that I need an exorcism when I don't. 
For me, Paco, what's interesting is it's it's quite unusual because obviously here in the UK and, and, and other places, when you have an incident such as that, often the, the spirit will be tethered to the area of the incident. Whereas what I found mm-hmm. really interesting with that is it's as if the spirit is tethered to the to the reason they passed on. Is that something that's prevalent in, in Hawaiian culture in regards to situations like that, that the the spirit is tethered to to how they've met their end? Or is it is there a specific case where that's unusual in that kind of situation? Here's the thing about that. Um, and this is why a lot of, um, I feel a lot of Hawaiian people have to know this. And I, I can only express this to you uh, in the context of which my mother taught me, how she trained me. She said, spirits are the ones who are aware that they've passed and they're no longer human beings. And they're, they're stuck here because of, they have a message they were not able to convey. They're attached to the land hmm. or they're not quite sure how they passed, but whatever it is, is what's, what's keeping them here. Yeah. And a lot of times it has to do with the circumstance surrounding their, their demise or their natural death. Mm. In a cultural context, the way you would be able to find out what that message is, is this, um, it's a thing called noho, which means to sit. Mm. And so in every family, in the district of, of Kau on the Big Island, according to the scholar, her name was Mary Kavenapukui, and she's revered in our culture. She's long since passed. But she said, in every family in, in Kau, every generation, one person was taken aside because they exhibited this talent and trained to be the haka or the medium. Mm. And the way that would work is that that tethered spirit or that akua would noho, sit on that, that medium's shoulders and communicate to the living through them. Ah. And so those were the ways that you would find out, well, you know, why, why can't you move on? Or what's, what's the message you have to say? Or what do we need to know about this land? And after that whole thing was over, that, that haka, that mediumship, that person would have to be taken to the ocean to be spiritually cleansed, you know, of that thing before, it could, before the person could, could do another reading. Is that because of the, the sort of the, the salt water? Is that the idea that breaks the connection? Yeah. The salt water has a purifying agent. It's also a symbolic of God of the ocean we call uh, Kanaloa. And so, yeah, the, the salt water is, is a spiritual cleansing agent for, for a lot of things. Uh, salt in its water form, salt in, in its solid form. And it's, it's funny how um, salt, healing through salt is prevalent in a lot of Polynesian and Asian, Asian cultures. I'm, I'm not aware if it's uh, the same thing in European cultures. I'm sorry. Yeah, Paul, this is much more your area of expertise than mine. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly is something that is used in, in sort of cleansing in a very similar way, Lepaku, in regards to sort of uh, trying to help bind things or protect them. So often salt can be scattered in a, in, in a very similar kind of concept, I, su- I suspect. Suffer the world. On the morning that Rayan Tanaka took her own life, a simple breeze skimmed over the waters of Mamala at Honolulu Harbor. It made its way into a parking lot where it lifted a small pile of faded orange and pink shower tree petals with such sublime grace that it became as one with the very same wind, which now carried them in a long, swooping pattern back toward the Aloha Tower. Rayanne couldn't help but notice that the combination of wind and petals seemed to be gathering around her, 
It gave her an odd sense of comfort and support, as if those few hundred petals created a place where she could lay her head to rest. Very early that morning, she'd completed her mental checklist of everything that needed to be done before now. Her superfly goggles were going to Braden Kamaka, her funny-looking ski cap to Amara Domingo, her pog collection and her manga magazines should go to Riley Inafuku. From the time she bought her first CD until her most recent purchase, her entire music collection was going to Daryl Hamada. Rayanne figured that Daryl would appreciate it most, since he always bragged about having every single song ever produced worldwide. She didn't believe him, of course, but perhaps her mini-library would help him out. Her parents would have to figure out what to do with her clothes, and all of her other things. It was a horrible task to leave behind, but it was necessary. She could see by the looks on their faces that she had become one more worry amongst all of the other concerns that burdened their daily lives. After the morning was over, her mother and father would have one less link in a chain of problems. At present, her mind was super focused on one item that mattered most, which she carried in her hand. It was a Martin guitar that belonged to her father. Once Rayanne showed an interest in playing the school band instrument, Shoji Tanaka let his daughter use the old Martin. She was a quick study and took to it like a natural. After that, the guitar was hers to keep. Her father was very proud of her, but his samurai attitude would not allow him to show Rayanne any physical affection. Giving her the guitar was enough. All that mattered now was that Ryland Ballesteros made it in time. The Martin guitar was the very last thing she was going to give away, and no one deserved it more than he did. Unlike her other prized possessions, Rayanne wanted to give the Martin to Ryland in person. Theirs was an easy friendship without any awkwardness that seemed to permeate most male-female social interactions. Ryland genuinely liked her and truly enjoyed her company. On most evenings, when Rayanne was plagued by overdue homework, Ryland would sit with her until she became frustrated at not understanding a math problem or key historical dates in her political science class. At that point, he would drop whatever it was he was doing and calmly sit down with her and talk her through her assignment until she could figure out the answer for herself. Ryland never asked for anything in return. Even when Rayanne tried to convince him to let her pay him what he was owed, he would waver off and laugh. A smile slowly played itself across her face as the thought of their friendship ever becoming more crossed her mind. Considering where it was she was going, the idea alone was bittersweet. A wedding, a house, children, that would never be. Not with the problem she had. The problem. Yes, the problem. How could Rayanne ever wish that upon a husband and children? Never, never. Her parents had suffered enough paid enough, financially and emotionally. Why do it to her own future family? That would be selfish. She held the guitar case closer as if she were embracing Ryland himself. The tears came, and she wiped them away as quickly as she could so that none of the vendors who were opening their shops could see her. The Aloha Tower entrance was just within her view when she heard someone call her name. Rayanne! It was Ryland. He was early. Ryland, you were supposed to be here at 8 o'clock exactly. It's only 7.38, Rayanne said. It's okay. I figured I'd come a bit early and enjoy the morning. I like it when it's still and quiet like this, don't you? Ryland said. Rayanne joined him at the wrought iron table and took a seat across from where he sat. Placing the guitar case on the table, Rayanne removed the instrument and handed it to Ryland. Wow, are you serious? I mean, for real? Ryland asked. Yes. Rayanne smiled slightly. Can you play something for me? On this thing, he said, 
as he held up the guitar. Anything you want. Make the world go away? Rayan asked. Jeez, Ryland chuckled. White rhythm and blues. Come on, she half-begged. If you do a good job, you can have the guitar. Great, tease me now, why don't you? Ryland held the guitar in his hands as if he and the instrument were lifelong friends. His heart moved his fingers as he evoked the first three strumming chords. You sing, he whispered to Rayanne. One, two, three, and. Make the world go away and get it off my shoulders, Rayanne began. Her soulful voice carried on the wind and echoed through the empty marketplace while the haunting melody echoed through her heart. A single tear escaped its captivity and rolled down her cheek as she sang the last line of the song. Say the thing you used to say, and make the world go away. There was a brief moment of silence as Rayanne wiped away the lonely tear, embarrassed that Ryland would see her cry. She half expected him to laugh at her, but instead he just looked at her stoically. That was sweet, Ryland said. Not the usual female angst stuff you sing. Rayanne was flushed and short of breath. It didn't help that she was lightheaded, and so it took her a second before she could meet Ryland's gaze. I'm happy, actually, she smiled. Oh? Ryland was pleasantly surprised. Something I should know about? Yes, your new guitar. Ray, Ryland replied in complete shock. Your dad gave you this guitar. I mean, this is his guitar. Are you sure you want to give it to me? I mean, this is something you should pass down to your kids and not your goofy friends, you know? I know, Rayanne said. I just want you to have it. It fits you. It's like it was always yours. Ryland sat there shaking his head in disbelief. I don't know what to say. He placed the guitar on the table and walked over to Rayanne, where he knelt at her feet and hugged her for a while. You do so much for me, Ryland, and you don't ever let me thank you. I'm your friend. I, I don't do it for thanks. I'm happy you're happy. Okay, okay. Ryland said as he stood up, this is just going to go on all day if we don't stop. Then he bowed dramatically. From my heart, I thank you. You are most welcome, good sir, Rayanne replied with a short curtsy. Let's go get some breakfast? Tears fell from Rayanne's eyes as she smiled. I have to go. I have another appointment. Okay, Ryland answered. I'll call you tonight. We can go see a movie? Sure, I'm down for that. Ryland hugged her again and gave her a kiss on her forehead. Holding up the guitar case, he mouthed the words thank you and blew her a kiss. Brianne watched him walk to the front parking lot of Aloha Tower. She stood there and waited until she saw his silver Chevy leave. Then she turned and made her way toward the tower where she saw a large crowd gathering in front of the 184-foot monument. Brianne could just make out something on the pavement, but she couldn't see all of it. It must have been something significant enough to elicit the growing mob's curiosity. It was a body, lying face down. Had this person fainted? Approaching closer, it was apparent that whoever this person was had jumped from the tower above to their death. She could see the blood spreading out from the body as a few faded pink and orange shower tree petals floated along with it. The almost angry red contrasted the faded petals' color and made it look like a macabre tattoo from a magazine. Rayanne walked through the crowd as if they weren't there, and found herself standing at the head of the body. At least I got to see him, she said to herself. She then lay upon the dead body before her, and slowly dematerialized into her own lifeless form. A year ago on the same very date, 
at the very same location at 7.38 in the morning, Rylan Ballesteros was shot once in the head when he refused to give up his wallet to a robber who was desperate to get his next fix. He was waiting to meet Rayanne for breakfast. After suffering for most of her life from the effects of mental illness, Rayanne Tanaka stopped taking her medication, and months later jumped to her death from the top of the Aloha Tower. For a very brief moment in time, Rayanne met with Ryland and completed her task of giving him the gift he so deserved. On the morning that Rayanne Tanaka took her own life, a simple breeze skimmed over the waters of Mamala at Honolulu Harbor. It made its way into a parking lot, where it lifted a small pile of faded orange and pink shower tree petals with such sublime grace that it became as the very wind, which now carried them in a long, swooping pattern back toward the Aloha Tower. Rayanne couldn't help but notice that the combination of wind and petals seemed to be gathering around her. It gave her an odd sense of comfort, as if those few hundred petals created a place where she could lay her head to rest. And Lapaka, I got to say, man, that is just a beautiful, beautiful story. Ooh. I just, Ooh. Uh, my hat's off to you, my friend. So thank you so much. Gave me the, uh, gave me the goose pimples. Oh, that is an incredible compliment. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, about sort of the, the inspiration behind that story? So Rayan Tanaka is based on this uh, young girl who is a member of our church. I didn't find out about, about it till, until after it happened. And I'd, I'd been away for a while, busy with, you know, what I do for a living. But what I found out is um, from everybody that at home she began to do the chores that she was always screamed at for not doing and then began to uh, clean up her room and started to give all of her stuff away to all of her friends. And the last thing she actually gave away um, was not just uh, her Martin guitar, but a bass guitar that, and I never saw it myself, but everybody said it was signed by Nikki Six from Motley Crue. Oh. Yeah. And so everybody said the fact that she gave that away, you know, was the sign that they actually should have seen. And so she went to the Aloha Tower early one morning and she jumped. And from what I heard uh, from her, actually from her parents, is when the authorities came, the EMT, and, and found the body, there wasn't any real damage to the body. It, it kind of looked like she was, she just lay down on her stomach and went to sleep. Oh, geez. I mean, that's, that's a mercy. Yeah. And so nothing broken, nothing traumatized, no blood, you know, no, oh, wow. no inside spread all over the pavement. Just, it looked like she had just laid down flat on her stomach and went to sleep. It's still crazy to me. And so I'm surprised I was actually able to, to write this. And I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. Cause you know, I like you now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I sort of don't remember actually writing it. Oh, really? I remember the, the feeling and emotion and, you know, sitting at the, uh, the computer and starting to type it out. But yeah, I, I guess it just came right through me all at one time. And it was just a visceral experience. Just, you know, I can't really recall the details of the day that I wrote it. It, it just has such a perfect symmetry to it. I mean, obviously we talk a lot on the show about depression. Paul and I have always been very open about our mental health mm. and, and even going back to the beginning of the show, you know, we, we, we run a mental health PSA in the sort of the C segment all the time. That's awesome. 
yeah, it's it was it's very very important to both of us and but I think it's it's sometimes easy to uh romanticize depression. You know, I think there is that tendency, especially in social media culture, I, I there is that tendency to um kind of wrap it up in, in a bit too much of a bow. And I think one of the really beautiful things the story does is it doesn't do that. You know, there's no, th- there's this, this finality to it. And it's a beautiful story, but it never, it does not varnish or, or try to in any way under, understate the consequences of these kinds of things. Yeah. And folks, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make some dick jokes here in a second to bring everything back up. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> just, and you'll, you'll hear the PSA at the show too, but I just want to remind you guys, if you're going through shit, please, please, please talk to someone. You are not a burden. You are never a burden. The greatest privilege we have in this life is caring for each other. And that includes you. And if you think, no, 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 it's too much work. I've always got problems. It's not true. There are people out there who love you. They want to hear from you and they, they will help. And it's it just, just, I cannot tell you that enough as someone who has been through the ringer myself this last 12 months, 18 months, really, I, I just, please don't keep it to yourself. It, I promise you there are people out there who care. Yep. Life's oh. always worth fighting for. Absolutely. I mean, excuse my language, but fucking call somebody. Yeah. Call someone because there's shit to live for. There's a new fucking Magnum PI show. <laughs> <laughs> And I know what you did last summer. I love that movie. My my intention behind writing that story was 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 the hope that no matter where she is today, the actual person this story is based on that she might be able to hear it or hear somebody hear somebody read it or you know uh, the way things are going yeah. now career career wise for us. Hopefully, wherever she is, she'll be able to, to see this as as a short film mm-hmm. piece. Oh, that, is that is that something that's in the pipeline? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and so you know, like you said, that way she'll know that we we loved her. Is that something that's going to be available for the public, or is that something kind of doing the festival route? I think a little bit of both. It's actually uh, going to be part of an anthology series that I'm working on with a a, a friend of mine, uh, an independent filmmaker. So we've done three independent films together, but uh, he went through a bunch of my stories on my blog and one of them he picked was Rand's story and you know wants to do it as an anthology series. Oh, okay. And his purpose is to show the world that Hawaii is not this tourist place and all this other stuff. He wants to show us his, you know, real actual everyday people who happen to, you know, encounter ghosts and spirit. <laughs> Which is a, a fantastic goal because I think, I mean, I've only ever been to Hawaii the once, but well, I, I don't have to tell you, but there's such a powerful energy there. And it, it frust- mm-hmm. as with so many, th- I, I know a lot of people who suffer from this, you know, they are, they are beautiful. And so that is all people ever see of them. Yep. And they don't look, take the time to look beyond the surface or to look beyond how this place or this person serves mm-hmm. them. And yeah, Hawaii, obviously very much the same. There is so much power and so much history and so much, there's just so much there beyond, well, Hey, this is a lovely place to get away. Yeah. I was, uh, when COVID first started, like on the day everything shut down, March 2020, the state of Hawaii gave me this, uh, the Hawaii State Legislature gave me this certificate as, you know, a master storyteller. Mm. And it was kind of hard to accept <laughs> because, uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't see it that way, but then everything shut down. And the first thing I said was, well, great. You know, and my wife looked at me and she said, are you kidding? She said, you go be the master storyteller and you figure out a way to tell stories. And so we did it virtually. Right. And, um, one thing, and virtually we, those virtual storytelling things actually helped us survive COVID psychologically, financially, spiritually. Yeah. But I guess my point, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking so long to get to it is no, no. in my opinion, I'm only speaking for myself. I think what, what truly makes a person a master storyteller is they have to be a master of listening. Hmm. I couldn't agree more. And that's when it hit me. Uh, what my mom said all those years ago, I realized the day I got that uh, certificate from the legislature. And after my mom's, uh, my wife said that I realized this is what my mom was telling me. This is not about me. You know, this work is not about me. And so being a, a master at listening is not about you because you have to take yourself out of the equation and let the person speak physically, let them speak spiritually, just let them get it out. And like you guys were saying earlier, I was at a point in 2005 where I was going through this thing that just hit me sideways. It hurt me so badly that I remember being at, uh, one night in the parking lot of the place where I used to live and looking up at the stars and in Hawaiian, just begging for the gods to come and take my life because mm. I couldn't stand it anymore. And I was poetically asking to be covered by, by the black mantle, you know, the black cloth yeah, right. and to be guarded by the black feathered standards. And this was all going through my mind and I just, just hurt too much and i was begging to die and i'm a freemason so on the spot one of my lodge brothers just happens to drive up and it's like one o'clock in the morning <laughs> and this guy gets up at three in the morning to go watch the stock market that's his thing right so one o'clock in the morning he drives into my parking lot he drives what up to me he gets out of the car he goes what's going on like, what are you doing here he goes i had this dream that you're going to try and kill yourself he goes what the hell is going on i'm like oh my god wow <laughs> wow yeah yeah, so somebody out there is listening. <laughs> Clearly. Someone's out there, you know, looking out for you. That's it. You're, we're never alone as we think we are. Not at all. Not at all. And that was, that was proof solid for me that, yeah, it's not about me. And in certain, certain areas, you don't have a choice. The path is the path. And if they got to take your clothes off and drag you there, they'll do it. <laughs> yes as i am learning as well so kawa <laughs> elua just the two of us in one sidereal day the earth makes one complete rotation around its axis during that time it also moves about one degree along its orbit around the sun so after a sidereal day has passed the Earth still needs to rotate a little more before the sun reaches local noon, according to solar time. Because this makes a sidereal day approximately four minutes shorter than a solar day, sidereal time shifts with respect to clock time, or solar time, as we go around the sun. When the vernal equinox is on the prime meridian, the sidereal time is zero hours. This means sidereal time and clock time do not always match. Sidereal noon is said to be a particular time of day when paranormal activity is most vigorous. 
The seasoned parapsychologist regards the hour as when anomalous cognition studies are most fruitful and paranormal phenomena are most prevalent. Peter Topley had come across the subject of sidereal time while listening to a CD by Roland Casimero, which referenced sidereal time in relation to the legend of Pele and her journey to what was thought to be the fabled homeland in the north, Hawaii. Sidereal time itself may have been the period of day by which Pele was told to make her departure from Kahiki at the urgent behest of either her mother, Haumea, or her eldest and most sacred brother, Kamoho Ali'i, the king of sharks. In either regard, that little bit of information sparked a moment of curiosity within Peter, which led him to put the definition of sidereal time on Google. That was just the spark he needed to leap out of his chair and run down to the garage, jump into his truck, and make a beeline toward the Waianae coast. If the information was correct then, by the time Peter arrived at Kiawaula, sidereal noon would be in full effect. For Peter, there was not even the slightest presence of doubt that this was the real deal. His gut feeling told him that there was not a second to be wasted. The Lunalilo on-ramp was clear as Peter merged into the westbound traffic without much trouble. Life itself was not as easy to navigate during the last year following his divorce and moving into a smaller apartment. With only his income to go by, Peter also had to take a second job to keep up with the rents and the rest of the utility bills. Otherwise, eating out was now a luxury that only came twice a month, as was his Lexus. Peter couldn't afford the insurance any longer, so he traded in his car for a Nissan Frontier. It didn't have the punch that the Lexus had, but it got him safely from here to there and anywhere in between, if need be. Mauna Kapu lingered in the distance just above Palehua as the frontier passed the water park. Coming over the rise toward Kahe Point, the sheer beauty of the crystal blue ocean was breathtaking and stood in contrast to the dry, arid rocky flats just before Nanakuli. The old train tracks still remained as a kind of beacon from the past, but the old Dillingham boxcars moved all the way to Kaena Point and back. The old train's conductor, his last name was Yokohama, and somehow the area known by Kiawaula would become his namesake. The bend of road into Maili was closer to the ocean. With his window down, Peter could inhale the aroma of the sea spray as the waves crashed on the jagged coast just beneath the highway. The journey went on like this for the next few minutes until Peter finally saw the coastline at Kiawaula, just as he passed the ancient cave of Nanaue. In minutes, he made the dip before the first bathroom near the old train stop. Peter drove the frontier as far as it could go before the road out to Kaena Point finally became inaccessible. Locking up the vehicle and leaving a note on the windshield, Peter hurried because he knew it would take another 45 minutes to finally reach his destination. He could not miss the opportunity to see the effects of sidereal noon. The unforgiving heat of the sun notwithstanding, the trek itself nearly came to a standstill when Peter saw that a part of the trail had fallen away due to erosion from the high pounding surf. Fortunately, someone had been mindful enough to lay a large plank across a portion of the trail to lend better access on the way out to the nature preserve. Peter bypassed the preserve and the point entirely toward the Mokulea end of the westernmost region of Oahu. 
With only a minute to spare, he'd finally made it to his intended mark, Lelena Kauhane, the leaping stone of the dead. It was exactly 2 p.m. According to the calendar that Peter found online, sidereal noon was about to begin. Peter stood near the legendary leaping stone and waited. According to the stories he'd heard growing up, this is where the spirits of those who have died within the month would appear, walking in a long procession. They would climb atop the leaping stone and jump to be received through an opening and into the arms of their ancestors waiting on the other side. From here, details of the story varied in that the procession only appeared at midnight or only during a full moon. But the aspect of sidereal time made more sense to Peter than anything else. So he waited patiently. Relief came as the wind swept up a group of low-lying gray clouds across the face of the sun that sat directly overhead. Peter noticed that one particular cloud fell lower than the rest and now seemed to be hovering lower, just a few feet above the leaping stone. The sight did not capture Peter's attention right away until the wind suddenly became intense. It was nearly impossible to see even in the daylight, but in the distance, rounding the point of Kaena, there appeared to be a group of people heading toward him. They did not seem to be hikers because they were dressed in everyday clothing. However, as they got closer, it was now obvious that there were an unending line of them. Peter's heart leaped into his throat. This was it. It was now sidereal time, the hour in which paranormal activity was at its height. Spirits of the people who approached Lilena Kauhane leapt one by one into the dark gray cloud as it opened up to reveal a blinding light and dissipated until it became the floating cloud again. The process went on for a few minutes until for some unknown reason, Peter glanced at his watch. It was now 2.17 p.m. Suddenly, he saw her. She only stood a few feet away from the leaping stone behind an elder Hawaiian couple. Her eyes were cast to the ground as if she was thinking about something serious. Peter was careful not to run to her and create a big commotion. He was unsure of what protocols were needed in this instance, but he was very certain that love would be understood by the seen and the unseen. The woman was Corey, his ex-wife. Three weeks ago, Peter got into an intense argument over the phone with her, and in the heat of the moment, he told her that he wished she were dead. An hour later, as she left her office, driving home to her mother's house, she was killed in an accident near the Kaunohi overpass, but a truck driver dozed off at the wheel and ran her off the freeway. The guilt was unbearable. It was that night when Peter put the Roland Casimero CD into the player in his SUV. The album was dedicated to Pele. The narration began with a reference to sidereal time, which is now what brought Peter to where he stood at the end of Kaena Point, now staring at the ghost of his deceased ex-wife. Corey, he called out softly. She continued to gaze at her feet as if an important thought had taken her attention away from anything else that might have been going on around her. Peter was surprised to see her appearance did not reflect the circumstances of her accident. She rather looked more like the Corey that he'd met 11 years ago. Over the years, the strain of her job weighed heavily on her shoulders, causing her to slouch without realizing it. That slouch was gone now. She was upright and elegant 
and brimming with youthful confidence she'd had before she began to work for the local newspaper. There was no trace of the crow's feet at the corner of her eyes, nor was there a clue of the dark slanted line between her eyebrows, which developed as a result of her and Peter never being able to smile while in one another's company during the last year of their marriage. Now here she was, almost brand new, reborn. Even in her spiritual form, she still retained her age, but there was a new purity about her, a kind of inherent light. Peter reached out and gently placed his hand on her forearm. Corey, she looked up at Peter from beneath her bangs, which were expertly cut to fall just below her eyebrows. It was meant to bring out the dazzling color in her hazel eyes. The haircut was something that Corey wanted to do for herself once the divorce was final. It was a sign of shedding the old life and gaining a lease on a new one. Staring back at Peter now, her eyes searched for some kind of familiar recognition. The man she looked at seemed to have too much on his mind, even though his demeanor was of someone affable and well-adjusted. There was an underlying pain which gave him many sleepless nights. His eyes smiled first, and then the rest followed. How do you do that? Corey asked. Do what? Peter replied. How do you make your eyes dance? She whispered. Corey slowly took Peter's hands in hers and took a step closer. That's what you said to me when we first met, Peter said. The two fell into one another's embrace, and no more was said. Corey's body was cool and comforting. Peter's body was warm and filled with the life that she was once a part of. It would be something that she would completely forget once she leapt from the massive stone into the realm of Pole. Peter had meant to apologize for what he had said out of anger and for being the cause of their marriage's failure. He'd become so caught up in his work that he'd become blind to what was truly important, too blind to see that his wife needed her husband. At that moment, when Peter began to let his guilt and sorrow consume him, Corey looked deeply into his eyes and gently kissed him. Her smile told him that there was no longer any need for regrets or apologies. Those concerns weren't important, and forgiveness was merely a wisp of a fading memory. There was no need for confession or absolution. There was only aloha. It was all that mattered. The procession moved a few steps forward while Corey and Peter held on to one another, knowing what was about to come. The deafening sound, which came from whenever his spirit leapt into its endless chasm, caught Peter's attention as he began to look above the two of them. He was distracted for a moment when he thought he might have caught a glimpse of what was on the other side of this great spiritual window. There was a vast open field of peely grass that seemed to lead to a lush green mountainside with waterfalls in the distance. We're here, she said suddenly, as she looked behind her toward the foot of the leaping stone. That statement brought Peter back to his senses, and he found himself asking her again, What was that? We're here, Corey repeated herself. It's my turn. Your turn. Peter was confused now. Nodding, she continued, My turn to go. That's right. It is. Peter realized she was right. Her time had come. Play track five, okay? What? You heard me, she replied. With that, Corey turned and ran to the very tip of the leaping stone 
and jumped into the void, where it quickly closed behind her. The searing heat of the day returned, and before Peter could think his next thought or utter one more word, everything had faded into nothing right before his eyes. The hour had passed. Sidereal noon had passed. Shit, Peter said helplessly. The walk back to his truck seemed to be a lot shorter than the journey in, although it was 4.40 in the late afternoon by the time he removed the note from his windshield. He sat there in his truck for a while before heading back toward town. Kauai had now begun to catch the setting sun. When Peter pressed play on the CD player in his truck, there was a brief click as the CD player reset itself to track number five, all on its own. It began with the soft murmuring of a guitar, with the sigh of a synthesizer coming in beneath the chords. Peter had forgotten that song was on the disc. What's your name? And is that smile for me? Am I fortunate enough to have your love? Through his tears, Peter pressed the eject button on the player and nothing came out. No disc. It was empty, but the song continued to play. What the hell is this? Peter screamed to himself. Suddenly, he heard Corey's voice in his head. Play track five, okay? How can I do that? Peter said out loud. The player's empty. Peter pulled back the truck over into the empty dirt parking lot across from Kaena Cave, and he now wept uncontrollably. Pretty Face was his pet name for Corey. She loved the song simply because of that fact. Whenever it played on the radio, she would hold his hand and lay her head on his shoulder. Okay, Peter said. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. The following day, Peter decided to do what he'd always dreamed of doing. He would run a food truck on the weekends at Kiava Beach. As a younger man, responsibility forced him to take the more typical nine-to-five route, and his dream was pushed to the back of his mind. The food truck would keep him busy on his days off and give him a reason to hang out in the area. It took a few months to get off the ground, and he got his brothers to help him. Pretty soon, Corey's Pretty Face Cheeseburgers were the hit item on the menu. Less than six months later, Peter moved out of his Davenport Street apartment and was able to afford a nice one-bedroom house in Makaha. Once a month, during a particular hour, he could be found clearing a path toward Ta'ana Point as if he were expecting a large group of guests. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you get to be the master storyteller. That was wonderful. Oof. Yeah, hoof is right. <laughs> That's, this has been a, a, heavy, a heavier episode than I expected, and I just want to put these in here. You think I know that? But, it's your uh, fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, that's fine. A lot of stuff's my fault, so it's it's totally fine. I think it's been an enjoyable emotional roller coaster, and well worth it. Mate. Oh, absolutely. That's I, I. I'm always I'm always here for an emotional roller coaster. I'm Italian. I like drama. Okay. <laughs> All right. I would love to know more about where that story comes from. Oh, that story's a, a culmination of a lot of. A lot of people I've known, a lot of situations where people go through the breakup of a relationship and it's, it's so caustic that it sort of stays with them and affects them to, to the end of their days, you know, uh, starts to affect their health, their posture, you know, even their, their facial makeup sort of changes. And so 
combined with that was learning about sidereal time, you know, the hour when psychic energy is at its peak. And then also knowing about the actual place called Leilena Ka'uhane, uh, the leaping place of spirits, which is actually at Ka'ena Point. And so in my mind, I, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to combine all those things in, into some kind of story where at the end, you know, there is an absolution, not only for, for the spirit of the person, but for the living person as well. And that sort of, you know, gives you this hope that maybe they weren't able to, you know, really reconcile at that point, but, you know, maybe another life, they will, they'll be able to do it again and get it right, you know, the next time. And so there's just so much elements to, to this story, uh, so many facets, but I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, the overall message of the story is healing. Absolutely. And I think that's been a, a sort of a, a steady through line all, you know, all throughout our conversation today. I, I think there has been this sort of steady return to the notion of healing, you know, the idea of exercising your sort of emotional, your emotional baggage in order to make room for, for new things in your life. And, and really that's, I mean, that's, that's what this story goes right back to because it's, it's a sense of, of cleaning out so that you can allow room for, for the light to come back in. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're so, we're so busy getting in our own way, you know, that we really don't get to enjoy the benefits of, of what we really deserve because we're too busy uh, being caught up in, in all of our stuff. Yeah. Oh, sure. I, I, my wife, she works, you know, I, I won't be too specific because we, I, we sort of like <laughs> keep her out of this, but she works in a position where she sees a lot of couples who are going through separations mm. and the stories I hear, you know, when she comes back home, I mean, obviously she can't share full details because of confidenti confidentiality, but you know, you hear enough to know that these people are just, uh, just staying in the hurt. And just perpetuating that. And, and I mean, I think there's a lot of just wanting to, you know, if you're still hurting, then you're still in the situation. It's not over, mm. but it, it, you know, as, as we've said, it just, it hurts you so much and costs you so much, N not only your health, but your future, because you can't, you can't engage with what's coming when you're obsessed with what's past. Absolutely. And, you know, there are people who don't know how to, thrive any other way but to stay in the hurt because the hurt is just gives them this weird validation yeah and 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 it's a it's a dangerous place to be as someone who has been that person at, at different points in my life you know yeah. Uh, yeah. it's such a dangerous place to be because uh actually a friend of mine has been using this wonderful metaphor you know there's it's like being in a cave and instead of and you're standing at the you're standing at the uh the entrance to the cave but instead of looking out you're just staring back at the back of the cave and talking about how dark it is and how there's nothing there. And, you know, right yeah. behind you, there's an entire world, but I guess maybe there's that comfort in the known of the cave, even though it is an unpleasant known. Yeah. Because, you know, intrinsically um, as human beings, we're, we're afraid of change. Even when it's a change for the good and will benefit us incredibly, we're still afraid of it. Oh yes, I think this is again, Paul. You're, you're probably sitting over there going, "Jesus Christ!" It's like we wrote the script for this because we were <laughs> literally talking about this before we went on air. Because I'm there's a lot of change happening in my life right now, and uh, right. 
I, you know, it, it's po- mostly positive change. You know, it, it it comes at a cost, of course, but it's ultimately will be positive. But I'm I'm just shitting bricks. <laughs> that fear of the unknown, regardless of whether it's a beneficial or not, yeah. it's always the fear of the unknown, regardless of the packer. Absolutely, and you know the best the best change for um, this is what twenty twenty one. Ten years ago, I was not in a good place, you know. But when I finally got over myself and put myself in a situation with with my wife, uh, life has been good. Yeah, you know, where we were where ten years ago as opposed to now completely different story. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, meeting my wife and uh, her influence, you know, on a lot of things, uh, what we do personally, business-wise, that that has been the difference, you know, in, between the dark and the light. I think it's that that biggest step you can make, Lepaku, is, is that taking that first step to look forwards rather than constantly look back and think about what you could have done rather than what you can do. Absolutely. And sometimes, sometimes we have our uh, ancestors behind us that kick us straight in the ass. Like, get over there. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. (laughs) And, you know, in in those moments when, you know, there's frustration, you know, over, over minuscule things, I think to myself, you know, could be worse. I could still be where I was 10 years ago. Yes. But this is like just night and day, you know, so I'm, I'm grateful for it. She's sitting over here behind me, but you know, I, I love her for it too, my wife. <laughs> but I think I think this is what the three of us needed, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Well, Labaka, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed having you here, man. You are welcome back anytime. It, it, this has been so much fun. Again, just get getting your wisdom, getting your perspective, and, and having a laugh at the same time. It's it's just been a privilege. So thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. Uh, <clears throat> the honor was absolutely mine. I didn't expect to laugh so much and get choked up so much. You know, <laughs> the only yeah, thing that's, that's missing is a beer. <laughs> well, when we when we finally end up in the same space, the first one's on me. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> hey, I don't say anything me unless too. I mean it. Generally speaking, so uh, yeah. Sometimes I stick my foot in my mouth, but it's always usually comes from a good place. <laughs> No, it's been a real pleasure to get an insight to everything and, uh, and hear you discuss and educate as Lepakin. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. That means a lot. And uh, where can everyone find you online? Where's, where's some places you'd like our listeners to hit? On um, Instagram, Twitter, we are, uh, you can find us under Mysteries of Hawaii. Uh, that's also the name of our website, mysteries-of-hawaii.com. Okay. And on Facebook, we're under Mysteries of Honolulu. And you do a lot of uh, live stuff on there. A lot of live stuff. We also have a YouTube channel under Mysteries of Hawaii. And I think about two years ago now, I did this, this crazy thing. I told on the anniversary of my boss's passing, I told 100 ghost stories. Yes. And that was about straight six hours. That was crazy. <laughs> wow. I've seen some of that video. That is, it was incredible. But I'll tell you what, at some, at some point, the three of us got to, got to do that. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey. You know where to find us. Uh, we're always we're yeah. always up for stuff like that. Cool. And uh, before we go to, I want to give a shout out to our patron Jen, who is thrilled. I mean, there are a lot of people happy you're coming on the show, but Jen specifically, Jen is a huge fan of yours, and uh, she was thrilled when she found out you were coming on. So I want to give a shout out to Jen. Well, our guest has been Lapaka Kapanui, master storyteller, the Hawaiian ghost story guy. Make sure to check out his website, you guys. There is it, listening to the man tell stories, as you've heard, is a privilege. 
and there is so much material out there for you to hear. So make sure you check it out. Lopaka, thank you again. Aloha. Thank you so much, guys. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks again to our guest, Lepaki Kapanui, for hanging out with us today. We had a great, great time. Make sure to check out his books. If you happen to be in Hawaii, take a ghost tour with him. I'm really, I can't wait to do that myself. And uh, just, a, just a great, great guy. And hopefully we have him back on the show at some point. Yeah, it was a real pleasure and a fabulous to get an insight into a culture and a set of traditions that probably don't get as much credit and as, as much coverage as, as they deserve. So it was fascinating. Very much so. Thanks too to Luke, Anthony, Sarah, and all the other folks in the Ghost Story Guys family. Love you guys. And of course, thanks to my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Bestel, host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What's, uh, what's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Uh, well, we've got... Some more Bigfoot. I've got, I've got, I've got a couple of interviews that I'm very excited about. I've got to try and contain my excitement, as I will be interviewing Doug Hycheck, who is the man that created Monster Quest. Yes. That when are you, when is that call? Uh, it, I will be interviewing him probably the same day this hits the world, oh, um, and then it's going to be out towards the end of September. And I've also just interviewed Christopher O'Brien, uh, who is for me the foremost researcher in the cattle mutilation right, situation. Of course. Yes. Um, so that's quite an interesting conversation as we dive into that and uh, really 
really interesting. And then I've got some more Bigfoot. We've got Bruce Champagne. And then October is going to be some seriously spooky episodes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> to cover two subjects I've never covered before that I am deeply, deeply interested in. But I don't want to say anything just yet in case they don't happen. (laughs) (laughs) But they're two subjects I've never covered, but I am fascinated in both of them. And I I hope I get the chance to to cover them both in October, along with some returning guests and lots of spooky, spooky episodes. I hope you get the chance too, because I want to hear those shows. (laughs) Selfishly, I want to hear those shows. Where can everyone find you online? Uh, You can find us by searching for Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms. And the website is, of course, mysteriesandmonsters.com. Lovely. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. And you can find my podcast, Largely the Truth with Brennan Store, where I interview authors, musicians, artists, activists, anyone who's got something to say worth hearing. I, uh, I, you can find that on podcast platforms everywhere. That is now a weekly show because apparently I like working. <laughs> and <laughs> as uh, when you hear this, you, the most current episode will still be with Denzel Gordon. And Denzel is an artist from Ontario. He's from Brantford, Ontario. Really great young guy. And he is the front man of a band called The Unlinchables. All right. So we promised you patron information and patron information you shall receive. If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys and get access to our incredible vault of recorded material, plus everything that comes out. There are week- the weekly shows, host adventures, and what's the other one? Book of the Dead which uh, host adventures is just a 30 minute ramble with me talking about whatever the hell's going on in my life. On the last episode, I monologued about my love for, uh, for, for pop, for soda. And the, a lot of the audience chimed in with their favorites, which I'm going to go to the local, uh, the local candy import store and buy as many as possible. So I can give myself diabetes. <laughs> as I said, there's book of the dead, which is just three ghost stories, no talk. And those come out every week. And then you also get me and Paul, which is me and Paul shooting the shit about whatever's going on in our lives, things we're watching, music, music we're listening to. There's the Sunken Library, which is every other month, and that is a, a feature show where I kind of take a deep dive into a different paranormal topic. And then there's all the bonus material, there's physical rewards, all kinds of cool shit. And you can get all that at patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. Oh, and of course, there's uh, for a dollar a month, you don't have to listen to ads, which is always a, a good and noble thing. Of course, if you want to get in touch, you can do so at the uh, show's social media account. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on uh, TikTok, we're on Instagram as the ghost, or we're on those platforms as Ghost Story Guys, and we're on Instagram as the Ghost Story Guys. If you've got a comment for the show or a story to share, you can send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. In fact, if you're sending us a story, that's probably the best way to do it, and we uh, we will do our best to get your story in the show. I'm real bad at writing people back, so please don't take it personally if you don't hear from me. It's just because I am terrible at keeping up with correspondence, but I read everything you send. Finally, if you have a comment for the show or a story, but you don't want to type, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call ghost line. Call Huge thanks to our listener Amber Pease for her ghostline jingle. Again, that number is one 588 6920 You can leave your comment or story as one or a series of voicemails 
and we'll either play them on the show or we will talk about them if possible on air. And if you don't want to talk, you can always text 925-553-4789. Our theme song radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Our musical guest was Spock. That's SP0HC with his single Harmony, released in March of this year. And you can find more from him at Spock, that's SP0HC.bandcamp.com or wherever you stream your music. And I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then. Into the darkness we go. Just so Stephen King. Wow. <laughs> What's, What's that? in that drink? <laughs> oh, right. You were all right till you had a drink. You've got a bits. No one's here. I have. You know, it's like three in the morning. I'm actually a porcupine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's Brand shitting in the woods again, talking to that porcupine. You're oh, like, are they doing some kind of show? <laughs> <laughs> you just guys keep pointing the paper too with the porcupine. What do you think, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. I love ants. <laughs> oh, what a cut up this guy.